Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, December 18th, 2017. All right, short broadcast week, light episodes all week as we're putting together our big project for the launch at the beginning of the year. Pirate Productions. I cannot believe I've been talked into really, truly expanding out into a video. <laughs> Details in a minute. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Uh, my name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we should be buying in small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over it again, uh, we demonstrate that what's being put out there for consumption by Christians as biblical teaching, yeah, it's not. So it's like far from it. So we're trying to warn you here, trying to equip you here, trying to help. That's the idea. It's a teaching program, and we like to have fun along the way. That's part of what we do here. So let's talk about <clears throat> what we're going to do today and uh, for the remainder of the broadcast week, as long as it lasts. And uh, that is, uh, th this is the week before Christmas, and normally I take the week between Christmas and New Year's off. And I need a little bit more time this year, uh, hence the light episodes uh, this week, uh, due to the fact that uh, we have—we uh, got a lot going on. Just to say, that's the best way to put it. We have a, a brand new project we're launching in the beginning of the year called Pirate Productions. We're going to expand our offerings, try to curate some of the archives of Fighting for the Faith, get things onto YouTube. Uh, there'll be new types of programs that we're going to be offering and things like that as we uh, try to leverage what we're doing here to uh, to reach where a lot of people are, and that's in YouTube land. So is, is, is that a place? Uh, I think so. So I, I think you kind of get kind of get the idea. So kind of be watching. You know, we're we're in dust and boxes, and there's saws and sawdust and. It's crazy go nuts here in North Dakota. That's all I got to say. It's crazy go nuts. So in order to navigate all of that, what we're going to do this week is I'm going back into my uh, sermons from Advent and Christmas last year, and uh, and I'm going to post these for you to listen to. And, and I understand with as far behind as I've been, you may not be able to listen to, to these until, you know, after the first of the year. Hey, I get it. But that being the case, don't let the fact that uh, if the time you're listening to this isn't the Christmas season, you sit there and go, well, why would I want to listen to that? Just listen to it anyway. Because <laughs> I said so. And eat your lima beans, would you? You know, so <laughs> I, I the idea here is that uh, it the, the comparison and con – did I say that right? The comparing and contrasting. Uh, that we do here at Fighting for the Faith it involves also exegetical work and guys preaching through text. And so uh, this, this is the time of year where you're going to, even though we're probably going to be fresh out of Christmas by the time I get this posted, 
but even though that's the case, you, you listened here and compare this to what you were hearing at your evangelical church. And the contrast is going to be stark, so much so that you may recognize there's a problem. And, and and a pretty serious one at that. So let's talk about the messages that we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at two of them. And uh, I'm going to be working my way through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, so I'm going to start at Luke chapter 1 and look at verses 1 through 23. And the name of the, the first message is titled, Believe God's Word. Second message is, uh, is from Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 38. And the name of the message is By Faith Mary. And so we're going to uh, listen to both of those messages with a little break in between. That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Keep us in your prayers. I mean, for real. I mean, logistically, things around here are just bonkers. And uh, pray for my health. Pray for my family. Pray for just that we get all of this sorted out. And uh, worked out well. So let's get to it. Uh, First message is titled, Believe God's Words. Here we go. Scripture text tonight is taken from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by law to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John." And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. In the name of Jesus. Now, when I was a kid, I thought my mom was crazy sometimes. I mean, we'd go about our daily lives doing, well, the normal things we do. You know, I'd go to school. We'd come back. We'd do homework. My mom would cook dinner. She would do the dishes. And then eventually I learned how to do the dishes. And and we had this normal rhythm that we would go through. But every now and then the rhythm got disrupted when we got word that grandma was coming. And I don't know what would happen to my mother, but she would transform into somebody else. 
And what was once an acceptable level of clean in the house now rose to the level of pigsty. It was absolutely awful. So there I was as a young lad. I mean, we're going about our normal business. The house looks, well, normal to me. It looks as clean as it is. And my mom was already a very clean housekeeper. And then she would say, this is not going to do. Do you see the dirt in the grout? What dirt? What's grout? Look at, look, look at this vacuuming job here in the living room. It's not good. Do it again. And it's like, what has gotten into my mother? And then my grandma would show up and everything would be fine. And, and then after she left, it was like we were able to go, oh, you know, back to normal life. And my grandmother never even noticed anything. It was just the strangest thing. Well, think of it this way, is that Advent is this time of, well, preparation, anticipation. Somebody important is coming to town. And there is a major theme within Advent, and that is the theme of preparing in preparation. And that is what we hear about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the forerunner of Christ, and he is preparing the way of the Lord. And his call, as we will hear this Sunday, is repent. But as we look at our gospel text, we're going to be working our way through the opening portions of the gospel of Luke. I think it is very important that we note here that God now is preparing to fulfill his promises. And God himself is doing the preparation in light of his soon appearing. And so with that, as we consider God preparing to fulfill his own promises, we remember that at the very end of Genesis 1, this is the chapter of the Bible where we hear that God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he created everything that you see, the stars, the sun, the moon, well, the animals, the rivers, everything. He created them in six days. And at the very end, he creates humanity, and God declares that all that he had created was very good. Yeah, but we all know that something went terribly wrong As the story tells us, God's enemy invaded the garden of the Lord and deceived our first parents. And through his deception, well, tempted them to disobey the Lord. And as a result of their disobedience, we were plunged into death and into a curse. Misery, suffering, disease, broken marriages, murdered children, wars, famine, pestilence, Mental insanity, starvation, destroyed friendships, and societies steeped in sin and idolatry have followed in its wake. See, our parents ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and unfortunately we have known experientially both good and evil ever since. But if you're honest, it feels like what little good we experience is quickly overrun by the evils of this world. And I don't know about you, it seems like the longer I live, the more tired I get. Tired. I feel like I'm languishing under the curse and the tyranny of darkness. But remember, there was a promise given in the garden. A prophecy that would dare to have us hope. But that hope seems only like a whisper there in Genesis chapter 3. But whether it's a whisper or a thundering voice from heaven, when God speaks and when he promises, he never reneges. He never lies. And so as a result of this, this promise, like everything we're going to see in our gospel text, calls for belief, calls for faith, calls for trust. Here again, the words from Genesis chapter 3, where God pronouncing judgment on our first parents It says that they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day. The man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, and God called among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, Where are you? He said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And now comes the first passing of the buck. He said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me of the fruit of the tree and I ate. 
And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And here's the whisper of a promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the promise of the offspring of the woman, if you think about it and do the math, went unfulfilled for millennia. Generations came, generations went. Civilizations, they rose and they fell in the years between the promise and the arrival of the seed. The civilizations that arose in the shadow of Eden, they were eventually judged by God for their wickedness, and the entire earth was flooded, and only Noah and his family survived. As we read through the Old Testament, we follow now the scarlet thread of this seed, this promised one. God appeared to Abraham, we learn, brought him into Canaan. God wrestled with Israel and brought the Hebrews to Egypt where they were enslaved for 400 years. Keep that number in your mind. God delivered them through Moses and brought them to the promised land and raised up King David and his descendants and then plunged and in Israel and sorry King David and his descendants ended up plunging Israel into idolatry and God punished them by sending them into captivity in Babylon. And after bringing them out of captivity he reestablished them in Judea and he spoke to them for just a brief period of time through the last of the Old Testament prophets. Talking 1,500 years of history in the Old Testament from the time the children of Israel arrive in Judea to the time when, well, the final prophets speak. And then, well, there's 400 years of silence after that. And I think it's important to note what exactly God said And the parting prophet of the Old Testament, we'll look at two brief passages. Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 17. Kind of a brutal prophecy. It says, You have wearied Yahweh with your words. Fun place to start, isn't it? You've wearied Yahweh with your words. But you say, well, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? That's an interesting place to start. Wearing the Lord by telling everyone who does evil that it is good in the sight of the Lord. Does that sound like it could have been written today? Are there not, well... Now, let's be frank here. Are there not buildings that call themselves churches that bless them? That tell people that God blesses them in their sin? The terrible plight. And in the midst of this terribleness, where these people have worn God out, God gives another promise. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come into his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And already, as you listen to this prophecy, you can begin to see Jesus in the temple preaching and teaching. Oh, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to test him and leaving while dissatisfied. And then the closing chapter of the prophet Malachi reads this. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all of the arrogant, all of the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says Yahweh of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth in the Hebrew so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. 
You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under your soles, the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses and the statutes and the rules that I commanded at Horeb for all of Israel. And behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And if you pay attention here, in this closing chapter of the Old Testament, prophet Malachi, it sounds like the Lord is prophesying the second return of Jesus. Because he is. But you're going to also notice he's also prophesying the first coming of Christ, the first advent of Jesus. And so it is, how shall we say it, a good biblical tradition, a good biblical practice to talk about Jesus' first and second advent in ways that combine the two. First and second visitations coming together. And so you'll notice we have an eye for the future, day of judgment, but also we have an eye of the first advent of Christ. And here are the words that end the prophet Malachi's book. Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and the awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. And then, after Malachi puts his pen down, God stops speaking. For 400 years. For 400 years. Silence. But he never stopped speaking through his word. And so for those 400, uh, 400 years, the generations that came and went... They heard the promises and they were in anticipation of the fulfillment of them. And so when Jesus shows up, finally, we read in the New Testament that over again, the people were expecting him. They knew he was coming. They were anticipating his arrival, even Jesus' enemies. So at the time when the, well, the New Testament opens, as we read in Luke chapter 1, when the curtain comes back up and God begins to move again and to stir and is getting ready to speak, everybody is in anticipation. And what is called for in this time of anticipation? Belief and repentance. Trust and making your path straight before the Lord. Seeing your sin for what it is and seeing the salvation that God is providing for us. And so our gospel text opens with these words, with Luke writing to Theophilus, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. You see, Luke, well, was a physician of his time, an educated man, probably a Gentile, convert to Christianity, potentially through the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a gentleman whose name is Theophilus. What a funny name. Theophilus, the lover of God. That's what it means. I love it. Because if that was really his name and not some pseudonym that he was using, it's a wonderful double entendre. Because you can say, well, I guess that's written to me too. Because it is. So as much as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitness and ministers of the word, they have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely and for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, so that you may have, listen to this word, it is so outrageous, certainty, so that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Notice the days we live in. The thing that we're taught to embrace by society is doubt. The person who, well, has the audacity to say that they know something with certainty, well, we all know what that person is. They're arrogant. Isn't that what the society says? The society values doubt. Doubt blurs definitions. Doubt creates ambiguity. And in ambiguity, 
There is no sin. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. There just is. Like one big bowl of three-day-old oatmeal. But we have been written to by Luke so that we would have certainty. And so the story begins. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea. You see, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, God began to stir. God began to fulfill his promises, the promises he made all the way back at the beginning of time. See, back in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest, and his name was Zechariah, the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. This reads like history, not mythology, because it is. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. A little bit of a note. And that is is that you're going to notice righteous and blameless. Righteous before God is how we talk about our standing before God by grace through faith. Blameless before others is the second table of the law in how we conduct ourselves with each other. And so Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, they were righteous by faith and blameless in how they conducted their affairs with other people. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And there's that wonderful motif. I seem to remember in the Old Testament, there were a bunch of women who had difficulty conceiving. Why is it always this difficulty conceiving? And now we're not in the Christmas story. We not only get it once, we get it twice. Because, I mean, who can have more difficulty than a virgin giving birth. That's kind of what the whole motif is pointing to. From Sarah to Isaac's wife to even Samson's mother or the mother of Samuel. All of these women who had trouble conceiving. God is in the Old Testament preparing us for what is coming so that when the promises are fulfilled, we can sit there and say, of course, he's been telling us this is the way it was going to happen the whole time. Because that's what he was doing. So, while Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Ah. Let your prayers rise before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. And there, while they were praying and he was burning the incense, an angel of the Lord was standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And she'll call his name John. And you just have to wonder, if you were to pull out you know, that prayer and look at the, well, the stamp to see when they stamped it and the date on it, how many years had gone by? You think Zechariah was still praying for his son? Well, his wife is an octogenarian? Probably not. But his prayer had been heard. His prayer had been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, which means he's a Nazarite. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Hmm. It's as if the angel Gabriel believed in, well, infants can have faith because they can. And so he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, at this point, Zechariah should have been doing an end zone dance. Yes, this is awesome. But he didn't have certainty. He had a lot of doubts. A lot of doubts. And, well, they manifested. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Like, Gabriel, do you not know how to read a calendar? 
What's going on here? Gabriel now whips out righteous indignation because this is not how one who believes in Yahweh and trusts in his word is to respond to his words. So the angel answered, you can almost see his feathers kind of ruffling up, right? I am Gabriel, as if he's supposed to know that's like important. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. You should be rejoicing. You should be happy. You should be like, wow, and you're not. And behold, since you don't believe the word of the Lord, we're going to make it so you're not able to make any words yourself. And so behold, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words. And whose words were Gabriel's words for real? They were God's. And they will be fulfilled in their time. And see, that's the thing. God always fulfills his words in his time. He knows what he's doing. So while the people were waiting for Zechariah, they were wondering at his delay in the temple, and he came out. By the way, delays like that generally mean that the priest died. Okay, in case you didn't know that, not only were they required to wear you know something like this to cover up, but at the bottom of their robes they had like little bells, and they took a rope like this and tied it to his ankles. Okay, because if he did something wrong, there was a good chance that God would strike him dead. And so when the jingle bells stopped, (laughs) you take the rope and you drag the body out from behind the Holy of Holies. (laughs) Otherwise, God will kill you in the process. So it's like, Zechariah has taken a little bit too long. You don't think, oh, I hope not. So they were thinking the worst. So the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them. I always kind of crack up at this, a little bit of a side note. Okay, this part of Scripture actually makes me really laugh because I picture Zechariah trying to explain to them without words that he saw an angel. And how do you go about doing such a thing? I was... (laughs) Anyway, that's not very holy, but... (laughs) So, he's a poor fellow. He's <laughs> just absurd, but it's wonderful. So he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, notice that they didn't give him any days off. Yeah, well, you lost your voice. Well, that's too bad for you. Get back to work. So when he was done, he went home. And so our text today, tonight, this Advent, teaches us that God is stirring. God is moving. God is finally fulfilling his promises in his time. That is what Advent is really about. The anticipation, the arrival of Christ, and the fulfilling of God's promises. And you'll notice who's doing the preparation. God is. So in the days of Zechariah, his soon-to-be-born son, the son he didn't believe was coming, well, this son through the power of the Holy Spirit, prepared the way of the Messiah, making the path straight through the preaching of repentance and baptism. Today, God is still stirring. God is still moving. Today, Christ has sent pastors and Christians into the world to prepare the way of Christ's arrival, that second advent, his coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. He's sent us to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, baptizing and teaching, very similar to the way John did. And so this calls for faith, not doubt. This calls for certainty, not, "Mm, I don't know. And that's what faith is. It's trust. It's belief that God fulfills his words in his time. You see, God never reneges on a promise. And it's important for us this Advent season to remember and again go over what it is that God has promised to us. Because with all of the people running around the religious landscape making all kinds of promises for God that he never made, we need to hang on to the ones we know for sure that he's given to us. For the scripture says in Romans 10, verses 11 and 13, that everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. That is a great 
promise. Because every time we examine our lives in light of God's law and the Ten Commandments, we see how woefully short that we fall. And it is good news for us that God has sent his Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. And so everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. You will not be shamed on the day of Jesus' return. There will only be, well, like the leaping of a calf, that excitement, that fun, that great thing to look forward to, new heavens, new earth, world without end, no more curse, no more knowing evil. Thank God, I can't wait. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, and God bestows his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3.13. According to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so this Advent... Let's do what Malachi teaches us to do. Keep our eyes both on Jesus' first advent and his second advent because the two go together. And let us also, well, drop all of the sin that entangles us, all of the sin that makes our own paths crooked. Let us repent, be forgiven, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and live like children of the day that is dawning rather than children of the night. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, we're going to pause right there. Pay some bills. When we come back, message number two, titled By Faith Mary. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Quick break when we come back. Message number two. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Chicago. 6 p.m. Inside Lucy Perkins' bedroom. I want to tell you my secret now. Okay. I see emergent people. In your dreams? No. When you're awake? Yeah. Emergent people like in coffee shops and cohorts? Walking around like regular people. You don't see the truth. You only see what they want to believe. How often do you see them? All the time. They're everywhere. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God, and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture. I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor doesn't preach through the biblical texts ever. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew, great way to support us. Um, and really, we truly uh, depend upon our crew members. And now that we're launching into a new project here, uh, <laughs> we are in need of new crew members like you wouldn't believe. That's all I got to say. So if you've uh, never uh, joined our crew, this is a good time to do so. Uh, of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you can do that by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is the second message today uh, that we're looking at. The name of it is By Faith Mary. It's on Luke chapter 1, verses 24 through 38. Here we go. Our scripture reading for this second midweek of Advent is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 24 through 38, which reads, After these days, his wife, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth, conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be, of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So the angel Gabriel, who doesn't make very many appearances, last time we saw him, well, we saw him last week when he appeared in the temple, in the temple and proclaimed to Zechariah that, well, his aged wife will give birth to the one who will prepare the way of the Lord and that he's to be a Nazarite from his birth. And, of course, Zechariah, not exactly believing Gabriel, well, he lost his voice for a little while. Yeah, see, when God speaks, even through an angel, you might want to pay attention. But prior to that, we only hear of Gabriel one other time, and it was 500 years before this. It was when the prophet Daniel was in Babylon, and Gabriel appeared to him. And so Gabriel announces nothing will be impossible with God. Now, the word impossible is not a word that appears in Scripture very many times And when it does, well, we ought to take note. Let's do a little survey here, shall we, of Scripture. Uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, 25 through 27, famous passage says this, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Hmm. Was Jesus saying that it's impossible for man to save himself, especially if he's rich, and that God is the one who has to save us? That's exactly what he was saying. Hebrews 6.18 says it's impossible for God to lie. This is absolutely true. When God speaks, what he says is going to happen happens. Uh, Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, this is most certainly true, too. And our sacrifice for sins, and everybody's sacrifice for sins, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God. And Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say it's difficult. It doesn't say it's a wee bit challenging. It says, no, it's absolutely impossible without faith to please God. Hmm. Impossible. It makes about as many appearances as Scripture is Gabriel. So when it shows up, pay attention. For tonight, let's add to this small list that we we will here. We'll, 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 we will rely upon science. Science tells us this very real impossibility. It's impossible for a virgin to conceive and give birth. See, that's not how the birds and the bees work. Yet this is exactly what Scripture prophesies in two places. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Lord cursing the serpent who deceived our first parents says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, the seed of the woman. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, the seed of the woman. See, Jesus is not the seed of a man and a woman. He's the seed of a woman. And notice here, he's a he prophesied in Genesis 3.15. And then Isaiah 7.14, one we're all very familiar with, especially during this time of the year. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's a scary thought if you think about it. I thought God was separated from us because of our sin and our rebellion against him. God with us? Is he coming to kill us? God with us? It's a little bit of a disconcerting thought. But see, everything in our text tonight, well, kind of drips with the words of our hymn. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Tell her that her warfare is over. These are words of comfort written to us Today, from the Gospel of Luke, and let me return back to the text. After these days, Zechariah's wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me. And when the Lord looked on her, what did the Lord do for Elizabeth? He took away her reproach from among the people. God looking on her, taking away her reproach. God taking away someone's reproach so that rather than experience reviling and hatred and being seen as cursed, she is now considered 
blessed. You see, that is mercy. That is grace. That is not judgment. That is kindness, not hostility. That is comfort, not terror. These are words of comfort. See, Luke has good news to share with us. And the text continues. In the sixth month, the sixth month from what? Was it June? No, the sixth month from Elizabeth's conception. The angel Gabriel again was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? What an impossibility that something good would come from Nazareth. So the angel Gabriel was sent to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found... Let me leave the word untranslated here. You have found charis with God. You have found charis. Charis is the word we translate oftentimes into grace. To find God's favor is to find his grace. So here, Mary, she's found grace, not judgment, favor, not contempt. And the angel continues, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son, just like the Lord said in the Garden of Eden, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. He, you shall bear a son and you shall call his name. Now, this is where the Greek is going to just, well, let us down just a smidge. You see, she would have heard the words probably in Hebrew or Aramaic. And Jesus' name, well, the, the, the word Jesus is a Greek form of it, if you would. But the word is, the name is Yeshua. Yeshua. This is a compound Hebrew word consisting of two elements. The first, Yeshua. Yeah, Yaho. You know, the, the idea here is this is the name of God. So the Jesus is the beginning portion of his name, actually is the very name of God. And the last part, Yasha, it means to deliver, to save, to rescue. Put it together, Yahweh saves, Yahweh rescues, Yahweh delivers. See, God with us is here not to condemn us, but God with us is here to save and to deliver us. The angel continues, He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Oh, what a thought. A king forever. One who saves us. One who rescues us. And so Mary said to the angel, well, how, how will this be? I'm a virgin. See, she's never been with a man. And I don't know if you've noticed this. There's this theme in all of scripture of all of these barren wombs that God has filled from Abram's wife, Sarah, who be, Sarai, who becomes Sarah. She gives birth to Isaac in her old age. To, well, Samuel's mother who couldn't give birth. I mean, all throughout the Old Testament, story after story after stories of all these barren wombs that the Lord has filled. And is there no more barren of a womb than a virgin's womb? It doesn't get more barren than that. It may as well be the Sahara Desert of wombs. How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born uh, will be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. 
for nothing, nothing will be impossible with God. You see, God is up to something. He's up to something big. So, yeah, and in order to kind of understand this, I need to warn you, don't get in the way of what God is doing by trying to put yourself into the middle of the story. And here's what I mean. This is not a parable about your life where you too will be visited by Gabriel or maybe even somebody more important like the Holy Spirit and then receive a special assignment from God. That's not what this is about, no. This is about us receiving grace, us receiving mercy, us receiving a savior, a deliverer, one who has come to rescue us. How can this be? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23 says. But nothing will be impossible for God. John chapter 1, starting in verse 9, says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now watch. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. You see, the birth of the Savior and the Virgin signals God's rescue so that you can be born of God. You can be born from above. Well, how can this be? Those born dead in trespasses and sins are born under the dominion of darkness and born slaves to sin, death, and the devil. But see, nothing will be impossible for God. And this is the same motif, the same theme we see in that very famous passage in John chapter 3. The Nick at Night passage where Nicodemus comes and says, Teacher, we know that you, are come, you have come from God. And listen to Jesus' words. Amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I have said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Wow. All this birth stuff. You see, the birth of the virgin signals a God. God is going to be giving birth to children through Christ. How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Amen, amen, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever believes in him is born of God, born from above. And all of this calls for faith. You see, the same faith that Mary had. By faith, Mary, though her womb was barren because she was a virgin and had not known a man, she gave birth to your Savior so that you can be born from above, born from God. And all of this calls for us to unite our voices with 
hers and say, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it, be it to me according to your word. These are the words that comfort us. God has sent his son. Yahweh saves. Yahweh delivers. We are rescued. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyre Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pyre Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>